Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Grace Baptist Church of Millersville. It is good to see your smiling faces this morning. Um, last week, I just wanted to thank everyone who was able to make it to the outdoor church picnic. Uh, most of all, thankful to God for the beautiful weather, but I, I, I personally had a great day. And I want to thank everyone who helped uh, with the food and set up and also clean up afterwards. Um, I, yeah, thank you again. I um, wanted to remind you that tomorrow, Monday evening, from 6 to 8 p.m., is our Loving Our Neighbors after Roe v. Wade. Melinda Clark will bring her expertise from almost a decade of working as a CEO at a medical pregnancy center. We will learn how to think and speak accurately about the issue while engaging our neighbors and friends with compassion. A pizza dinner and childcare will be provided. Please register online so we know how much uh, food to prepare, but if you weren't able to sign up, still please plan to attend. And remember today, Mark and Stacy Niles are here with their kids. Um, for Isaac, Maria, and Elliot, please give them a warm welcome when you see them. Also, our VBS Super Saturday is on August 6th, that is from 1 to 5 p.m. This year, we will, be, we will be talking about the Tower of Babel and God's better plan. There will be games, snacks, drama, and crafts. Please register ahead of time so we can prepare. Early registration helps us prepare for the snacks and crafts. This event is for children ages 3 through rising 6th graders. And again, this is a great um, event to invite uh, friends to that don't typically come to church. Uh, I think one of the announcements said you can register at the kiosks, but please register uh, online or on the Church Center app. Encore, which is for our senior adults, they are planning an indoor picnic on Friday, July 29th. This is at noon. Grace will provide hot dogs, hamburgers, rolls, and beverages. Please bring a dish to share. They will also have indoor games to follow after the food. You can see Cheryl DeVinney uh, with any questions or also sign up online. Um, are you considering having your child or baby dedicated? Grace is planning on two dates, September 11th and October 9th. You can find out more information about this online, or I'm sure Pastor Joel could help answer any questions as well. Speaking of Pastor Joel, he plans to be away through the end of July. So if you have any needs, please contact one of Grace's elders. Um, our elders meeting is actually this Thursday, uh, the 21st, and it's a special elders meeting. We will be praying through every church member and family in the congregation for the entire meeting. So that is hopefully a blessing to you, but it's also our pleasure to bring your needs before the Lord. Um, and I would just want to encourage you to reach out to your elders, update them on any needs you might have, any prayer requests, and also praises. We'd love to hear praises as well. So thank you for that. Again, it is our pleasure to pray for you. And that is all the announcements I have for you this morning. I'm going to pass this off to Ryan and our worship team. preached and um, as we um, sing to one another and sing with one another and hear each other's voices proclaiming truths about God, um, we rejoice that he is king, he is sovereign over all, he rules all um, in goodness and wisdom and I invite you all to stand as we join with all creatures in singing his praise.
Brad mentioned that uh, in later this uh, year, in September and October, we look forward to having uh, child dedications as part of our service. Uh, today, we are going to have, we're going to uh, head for a time of prayer for a family. It's unusual. Most of the time, we pray for three children and three sets of parents. Today, we're going to pray for one set of parents and three children. So the Fries are going to bring their youngest boys down to join me at the front. Uh, most of you have followed in some way because of your friendship or our partnership as followers of Jesus in our congregation have followed the Fries in their uh, foster and adoption care story. Um, you'll know, some of you, that uh, last August, Jackson Case, that's you, officially became a Fry. Then this August, in a few weeks, Lord Welling Hunter Dakota is officially going to become a Fry. And Zachariah has been around for a long time, since birth, and we're waiting for the Lord's direction and guidance in that. And uh, they, uh, w today, we're going to pray for them in the endeavor that they have as raising and raising these children. You'll remember that child dedication, when we pray for uh, children as uh, God provides them in our congregation, we're declaring three things. One, we're, we're declaring that children matter to God. All children are made in the image of God, and in our honor of God, we receive all of the children that he gives to us with great thanksgiving and praise. Second thing that we declare when we dedicate a child is that all children, even though they're adorable, are sinners <laughs> in need of salvation, all of us, born alienated from God and needing rescue from, uh, from our sins by Christ. And the third thing we declare when we dedicate a child is that Jesus is the Savior. How often did the Lord Jesus welcome children to himself, and yet he knew, he knew it's true what Acts says, that there's salvation and no one else uh, you must believe in the name of the Lord Jesus or you cannot be saved. So that's what we declare when we dedicate children. children. Child dedication actually is more about the role of parents. And Joel and Jackie are coming this morning to you, their brothers and sisters in Christ, and asking you to be faithful in praying for and encouraging them as they endeavor to bring up these boys in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Listen to what Deuteronomy 6 says. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Baby dedication, as I said, focuses more on the role of parents even than it does on children. And Joel and Jackie are endeavoring in their home to obey the commands of the Apostle Paul who said, fathers, this applies to mothers too, fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. That training and instruction involves both teaching and correction, warning and encouragement. And that is the Fry's goals. I'm going to ask them some questions. They're going to answer, we will, as a, a, a testimony to you of their um, a desire for your prayer, their dependence upon the Lord, and their intention to raise their sons in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Will you pledge to support and love your children 
your sons by providing the opportunity for them to grow up in the family of faith with the hope that they will one day confess Christ as their own Lord and Savior? If so, say, we will. Will you, to the best of your ability, (coughs) and with God's help, provide a loving family environment in which your children can grow in love, loyalty, and obedience to God? Will you encourage your your children to grow in faith so that they might later be received into the fellowship of the church by their confession of faith and baptism, fully participating in the work and worship of the church? In addition to the family, God has instituted the body of Christ, the church, for the propagation of the true faith in the lives of those he loves. As we pray here, this serves as a reminder of the support that we will all give to the fries as they raise these uh, sons. We'll pray for them, we'll encourage them, we'll help them bear burdens in various ways. Some of you in the nursery, some of you in a Sunday school class, some of you in the foyer uh, when you greet them and welcome them and encourage them. All of us are called to model them for them what it means to follow Jesus So I encourage us, brothers and sisters, to be faithful to the work that God has called us to do. Now, we're going to pray, and if you are related to one of these people up here, would you please stand up? We're going to pray while we pray, and uh, let's uh, together as a congregation take them uh, before the throne of grace. Let's pray, shall we? Father, we come before you today. We do so with great joy. We give you thanks for these boys. We are thankful to you for the mothers that gave them birth, and we're thankful to you for the resources that brought them into the Fry's home. You have enabled them to navigate what is sometimes a difficult and challenging and labyrinthine uh, social services system, but we are thankful to you for the perseverance that they have had in it. Thank you for their grace. Thank you for social workers and and uh, administrators who have brought us to this point under your good providence. We acknowledge these boys made in the image of God, and we rejoice in them. You knew all of their days before any of them came to be, and we acknowledge your supremacy as creator. Father, we are thankful to you for Joel and Jackie and their desire to raise their sons uh, in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Father, we're mindful of the fact your word tells us that you are a God who never grows weary and never lacks strength, but all of us, we human beings, do. Youths grow tired, young men lose their strength, but those who wait upon the Lord will renew their strength, and I pray that you would help them to wait upon you faithfully. Give them wisdom and insight into their sons and what they need. Make Joel and Jackie faithful in praying for their boys and interceding uh, before the throne for them. Lord, we pray for their older siblings. We're thankful to you for Micah and Nate and Anna and how you have um, filled their hearts with love for these boys as well. Help these teenagers now here to uh, model what it means to follow Jesus faithfully, that that, uh, Hunter and Jackson and Zachariah would see in them faithful followers of Jesus who are teenagers and young adults. Lord, we call upon you for your mercy that you might rescue these boys from their sin, that they would know what is of first importance, uh, that Christ died for our sins and that he was buried and rose again. And Lord, I pray that that would be a message they would hear 
and that they would believe it. Lord, perhaps it will be in one of our Sunday school classes or in their bedroom at night or, or in the car with Micah or Nate or Anna in which they would profess faith in the Lord Jesus. We will give you thanks for that. Oh, hear us and save them from their sins, we pray. Lord, we pray that they would grow as followers of the Lord Jesus and they would walk in love and walk in holiness and walk in unity with their fellow followers of Jesus. Guard them from temptation. Protect them from foolish friends. Lord, use them in the generation that they are to advance the good news of the Lord Jesus. Glorify your, fa- your name in this family. We pray these things together in the name of the Lord Jesus, saying, amen. Thank you. Thank you, everybody. Goodbye. It's good to see you. I believe we're going to give our attention to the scriptures, and somebody's coming to do it. I don't know who, but they're coming. No? It's not in there? Oh, I'm sorry. I'm supposed to do something else first. <gasps> Thank you. Uh, I'm going on vacation, so, you know, who knows? <laughs> Anyway, our congregation supports a large number of faithful followers of Jesus who uh, represent him well around the world, and we have been involved in the lives of Mark and Stacey Niles for over 15 years as a congregation in supporting them in the ministries that they've been involved in. Some of you will remember a few months ago, uh, Mark's parents, Steve and Donna, were here, and they shared about their work on the eastern side of France, and for the last six years, Mark and Stacey have been on the west side of France. Mark is one of our, if not the only, I think, second generation outreach partners that we support. And uh, they are here and uh, he's, uh, they're going to come, Mark's going to come and share uh, briefly about the work that they do uh, in Europe. Well, it's great to be with you again. We realize it's been seven years since we've been to the East Coast and seen you. So um, a lot has happened in that time. I can't share too much about that, but I'd love to give you an update. But first, I want to say, Mileshker, gracias, merci. Hopefully you recognize at least one of those, uh, the three languages that surround us in the Basque country in France. The Basque live on the border of France and Spain. Actually, most of the Basque live in Spain, uh, but we're surrounded with French, Basque, and Spanish all the time. That's about the extent of my Basque and probably Spanish too, but uh, we work mostly in French, although our kids are are learning a lot of Spanish as well. So we moved there um, after being in Madagascar for 11 years with Africa Inland Mission, and for us it was really starting a new adventure because we were leaving our organization, we were leaving what was familiar to us and um, felt like that that's what God wanted us to do, but we didn't really know what this would look like. All right, so um, if you see on a map kind of where we're located there, not far from Spain. Um, the Basque are really proud of their, their heritage, their language and culture, and so it's been really interesting trying to get to know um, what's important to them. Stacy. Uh, her great-grandparents moved from the Basque country to Montana, and so for her, it's kind of coming back to her origins, her roots there. And uh, so we've had some natural openings, getting to know her extended family in the Basque country, which is normally quite a closed community, so we've had lots of opportunities. We had to find a place to live, um, and that wasn't um, the... uh, 
easiest to, to get in the community. We live in a, a small town called Saint Palais, or just outside of that community, and Dona Paleo in Basque. So lots of confusing names for you. Um, but we have, were able to actually purchase a house after looking to rent. Um, we found that we could buy a house that needed to be fixed up a lot, a lot more than we even expected. Uh, but it also allowed us to just reach out in our community through that, get to know the mayor, all the, the people on our street, and show our investment in the community. And for us, it's been kind of a picture of what we hope the transformation that's happening um, on the spiritual level as well. And so uh, inch by inch, we cleared uh, this place that had been, well, abandoned for at least eight years. And uh, so we could finally get to this point after a lot of, of blood, sweat, and tears. Um, and it has also provided us a place to offer hospitality in our community that we are able to invite friends and um, our neighbors over for a meal, for a cup of coffee, and just like you, offer hospitality and show love to those in our neighborhood, which is quite unusual in that area. Some of the people we found had lived there for 20 or 30 years and didn't know the people across the street, so we were able to kind of be a bridge as well in our community. Um, just the kids are a natural way to get to know people and um, have lots of kids over and things like that. A lot of elderly people in our community who also um, have needs, just visiting them regularly um, has been a great way to reach out. We um, just, holidays, we enjoy sharing Christmas cookies with our, our friends, neighbors, things that they don't do, um, and they're often surprised by that. It's just one more way that we can get to know people and show our love and Christ's love to them. Um, one of the things that we enjoyed doing in 2019 was having a Thanksgiving meal with some of our closest neighbors. They don't know Thanksgiving, but it was a great opportunity to talk about what we're thankful for and, and share um, this kind of tradition with them. But then in 2020, it was a little harder to do that, so we decided we would make Thanksgiving baskets and bring Thanksgiving to them. And so again, just to, to try to find ways to um, get to know our neighbors and, and show love to them. Um, we've enjoyed having a garden. This is our son Isaac, and he's been kind of in charge of that. Um, growing things, we're in a more of an agricultural community, and so sharing with people, learning from them, and then being able to share the, the produce and things from our garden as well. We've had chickens, especially with COVID being confined, um, so sharing eggs with our neighbors as well, things like that. Um, so we moved to France, and I was going to work there but I didn't really know what that was going to look like. I had a, a degree in teaching, language, uh, teaching English as a second language, and it turns out that God opened a door to be a professor at the university. Not what I was expecting, uh, but a great opportunity to get to know colleagues and students and, and really build in their lives. It's a public university about an hour from our house, um, but it has been a great way to get in the community and also just find ways to share God's love with my colleagues, students, and so many others as well. This is a couple in our uh, local community. He's Basque, she's Peruvian, who are uh, new believers who we've been discipling and meeting with. So there's a little group in our community here. We're teaching the kids, um, and we meet together on Sundays. So things are, God is moving in people's hearts, but it's, it's slow. We need patience, just like you, um, to be faithful. And that, you know, again, it doesn't rest on us, that we can't change hearts, but God can. And so pray that we be faithful in that 
in being a light to our neighbors. One of the great um, opportunities we've had recently has been this program that has been started actually in Quebec, but that has moved to France in the schools, 10 Days Without Screens is how it's translated. And it's a way to challenge people, especially kids, to get off their screens for 10 days and discover other things, all right? So for us, being from Madagascar for 11 years, we were kind of shocked to see how screen dependent we are. And so for, um, for 10 days, we try to find other things to do. So Isaac and I put up a sign on, on Elliott's school and he had a point counter there. And we've kind of been in charge of that in a couple of different situations. So we put on activities, uh, talk about struggles the parents have with, with their kids, with screens, and so on, and talk about our values. It's been a good way to serve the community as well. Um, so we put on a thing about the United States um, back last month in, in Elliott's school. Um, I just, so those are just a few ways that you can see how we're reaching out and how God is... Um, opening doors to share his love in our community. So you can pray that that would produce fruit. And so we've been encouraged to see some things, even though, again, it takes time. I wanted to give you a quick update on Madagascar as well. You know that when we left Madagascar, our hearts were still there. And it's, it was hard to leave. It's hard to let go of some things. But that's what we felt God wanted us to do. So very quickly, um, you know, the, the desperate situation in Madagascar of the famine, the corruption, the violence continues in the south where we were, um, which is very difficult to see, to hear the updates, but it also provides an opportunity for the church to continue to reach out through you know, distribution of food. So the, the project that we started continues to support that, that ministry, um, also helping to provide housing for those who are most needy in that area um, in the south where we worked. The couple that we had trained to continue that work, Fernando and Jana, have continued on um, in that it's been neat to, to just get regular updates from them and know what's going on and how the work that was started has continued. So you can pray for them. They have a huge kids' ministry as well, reaching out in the villages, doing um, Farming God's Way, a program that really tries to take care of creation at the same time um, giving people some of the you know, producing crops that are a little more uh, effective, more effective way of farming. He sent me this picture just recently of a man that I had been discipling. It was so encouraging to hear a message from him um, and just to be able to continue using my bara and discipling guys even at a distance like that. And the translation project has continued to translate portions of the Bible into bara, and so I'm still trying to help as I can at a distance. I was able to go back in 2017. There's now an organization that was created specifically for Bible translation, and if you want to know more about that, it's called Together in Bible Translation, um, and so we partner with them. And this is the, the local translators that I was able to go back and see in 2017. So continue to pray for the Bible translation, a lot of challenges there, um, but we're seeing how effective it is for people to really hear the good news in their own heart language. Um, so just a few things just to recap. Um, we don't have time to talk a lot more about this, but um, some of you know that Stacy was diagnosed with lupus and that she's been on treatment this past year. It's been a rough road. It's, it's um, you know, trying to live a day at a time. It's reminded of us of our constant dependence on God and his, um, just our need for him. So you can pray for that. 
our physical health as well as our emotional, spiritual health. This meeting of local believers in the Basque area that we would shine brightly in our community as well. And then um, we would really have wisdom in reaching out that God would soften people's hearts. And then, um, of course, the things I mentioned about Madagascar. So again, thank you so much for your prayers and your support over the years. Your faithfulness is a testimony to us and encourages us to continue on when things are difficult, when we're discouraged. We know we're not alone, that you guys are with us. So thanks again. Good morning. Our scripture reading this morning is from Proverbs chapter 8. Uh, you can turn there if you don't have a Bible. There's one in the chair in front of you. Uh, we're going to be reading from Proverbs chapter 8, and that's on page 635. Page 635. And, and this, this section of scripture is the personification of wisdom. And wisdom is, is in these verses portrayed as this beautiful woman, actually in contrast to the adulterous woman in chapter 7. Uh, it's this beautiful woman and she's speaking and instructing her children in the way of wisdom and, and talking about its origin and the value that wisdom has in every aspect of life. So follow along as we read Proverbs chapter 8, starting in verse 12. I, wisdom, dwell together with prudence. I possess knowledge and discretion. To fear the Lord is to hate evil. I hate pride and arrogance, evil behavior and perverse speech. Counsel and sound judgment are mine. I have insight. I have power. By me, kings reign. And rulers issue decrees that are just. By me, princes govern and nobles, all who rule on earth. I love those who love me, and those who seek me find me. With me are riches and honor, enduring wealth and prosperity. My fruit is better than fine gold. What I yield surpasses choice silver. I walk in the way of righteousness along the paths of justice, bestowing a rich inheritance on those who love me and making their treasuries full. The Lord brought me forth as the first of his works before his deeds of old. I was formed along ages ago, at the very beginning, when the world came to be, when there was no watery depths, I was given birth. When there were no springs overflowing with water, before the mountains were settled in place, before the hills, I was given birth. Before he made the world or its fields or any of the dust on the earth, I was there when he set the heavens in place, when he marked out the horizon on the face of the deep, when he established the clouds above and fixed securely the fountains of the deep, when he gave the sea its boundary so the waters would not overstep his command, and when he marked out the foundations of the earth, then I was constantly at his side. I was filled with delight day after day, rejoicing always in his presence, rejoicing in his whole world and delighting in mankind. Now then, my children, listen to me. Blessed are those who keep my ways. Listen to my instruction and be wise. Do not disregard it. Blessed are those who listen to me, watching daily at my doors waiting at my doorway for those who find me find life and receive favor from the Lord 
But those who fail to find me harm themselves. All who hate me love death. This is the word of the Lord. I invite you to stand again as we continue to sing of all that it means to be children of an all-wise Heavenly Father. God. 
Take your Bibles, if you would, please, and turn me to the book of Romans. Romans chapter 11 is where I want to direct your attention this morning. We're going to read from verses 33 to 36 of Romans, <coughs> right at the end there before chapter 12. Romans 11, verses 33 to 36. You follow along in your copy of the scriptures as I read. Here's what the apostle Paul says. Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Who has given, ever given to God that God should repay him? For from him and through him and for him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. In 2001, the Smithsonian in Washington, D.C. installed an exhibit outside the Air and Space Museum called Voyage Through the Solar System. It starts at the Air, uh, Air and Space Museum, and uh, if you walk out in front of those doors, you'll find there a model of the sun, and then going down the street, down Jefferson Street toward uh, the Washington Monument is a model of the, Smithsonian, of the solar system one ten billionth of the actual size. 
you're going to look at the sun there, and then you walk down the street um, farther than you think, and you'll come to Mercury, a little display, and then you'll keep going, Venus, Earth, all the way down until you come to uh, Pluto. The scale model is one ten billionth of the actual size. Do you know how far Pluto is from the sun? It's half a mile down the road. It's a long way. Even one ten billionth the size, it's still not close. We human beings have a hard time conceiving of, of, actual, of the actual distances of such massive proportions. Uh, how far is it from the sun to Pluto? It's a long, long, long ways. Or think about the federal debt. The federal debt right now is $30 trillion, which means if you have $11 in the bank, you're $30 trillion and $11 richer than the United States. $30 trillion. This is, how, how can we even conceive of a number that big. Uh, our minds just don't seem to be equipped to, to grasp things that are so massive, except when the Apostle Paul wants to talk to us about the wisdom of God, it wants us to think on that massive scale. That's why it, Paul begins by saying, oh, the depths of the riches and knowledge of the wisdom of God. How unsearchable, that word unsearchable is a unique word in the Bible. Um, it means, um, well, it's supposed to be in this poem here, it's supposed to be paired with depths. It's deep and unsearchable. How about we translate it this way? His, his wisdom is unfathomable. A, a fathom is a measure of distance in the ocean. It's a measure of depth in the ocean. God's wisdom is so deep it is unfathomable. It's unmeasurable. The Bible, when you start thinking about the wisdom of God, wants you to think on massive scales. Uh, look at Psalm 147.5. It says, great, in our, great is our Lord and mighty in power. His understanding has no limit. There's no limit to the understanding of God. I remember uh, when I was in junior or senior high playing a game in youth group, we all stood in a circle and everybody was handed an object, um, various household objects. Somebody had a roll of paper towels, somebody had a book, somebody had a bowling ball and a trash can lid and all the way around the circle. And the object of the game, we, we were to, the first person was to take their object and pass it to the person to their right. And that person would have two things and pass both of those things to the person on their right and then three and four and all the right. And the goal was to see if we can make it all around the circle passing without dropping all of these things. Poor kid who got the bowling ball. Uh, uh, you can fill your arms with your capacity to understand the wisdom of God. And always, always, there is one kid, actually a million kids, waiting with more stuff to put in your arms. God's wisdom is without limit. And if you understand this appropriately, if you think about what Paul is writing here, it leads to worship. We know that because Paul began in Romans 11 by saying, oh, that's a worship word, oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. And he ends chapter 11 by saying, to him be the glory forever. If you understand God's wisdom like Paul understands God's wisdom, it will make you a worshiping person. 
Today, we're going to talk about the wisdom of God. This is uh, the, the immense, unfathomable, without limits wisdom of God. And this is the third in a series uh, we have uh, considered the attributes of God. Um, later in August, we'll pick up the book of Nahum. Again, we're going to walk through Nahum and then Zephaniah, Lord willing, in August, starting in August. But we've been thinking about God's attributes during the month of July. We started with his power. Then we talked last week about his goodness. And today, we're thinking about his wisdom. And you can understand how those three things are related. Uh, God has all power. He can do whatever he wants, whatever he pleases, and no one can stop him. That would be terrifying. That would be absolutely terrifying if the Bible did also, not also tell us that God is good. He's kind. He's generous. He cares for all he has made. But, but what if... What if God's goodness, if in his goodness he does more harm than help? I've done this sometimes. You've done this. You know people who have good intentions, but the good that they, they, the ways they try to help you actually are more hurtful than helpful. They're, they're, just, they're trying to be kind. They're trying to, to, to help you, but actually they're just kind of in the way and just hurting and not helping. How do we know that that's not the way God is? with his power and his goodness. Well, enter his wisdom. God is inestimably wise. Here's how I want to proceed this morning. We're going to talk first of all about what God's wisdom is, and then we're going to talk about, I want to share with you four truths in the Bible about God's wisdom, four ways the Bible teaches us to think about God's wisdom. Let's start with what is the wisdom of God. When the Bible says that God is wise, what is it talking about? I have seen a definition that shows up in a slightly varied form uh, that I want to share with you. I'm going to borrow uh, Wayne Grudem's because it's helpful and and fine. Uh, He says, God's wisdom means that he always chooses the best goals and the best means to those goals. God's wisdom means that he always chooses the best goals and the best means to those goals. God knows where you, where all creation needs to go, and he knows the best way to get all of creation there. God is wise, he knows the goals, and he knows the means. Um, I want you to think for a minute about your GPS or Google Maps on your phone or uh, um, Apple's uh, directions. You you tell your GPS where you want to go, and you you follow the direction. It has a destination, and then the computer figures out the best way to get there. Now, if you use your GPS like I do, when I'm about 45 miles away from my house, I follow it as if it is Holy Scripture. But when I'm like 45 miles away from my house, I know better than that computer. I mean, don't take me down 741 during rush hour. That's just foolish. This is Lancaster County. There's always 12 ways to get anywhere, and they all are crooked roads. I know better when I'm 45 miles close to my house uh, than my GPS Just think here uh, now about God's wisdom. He always knows the best destination, and he always knows the best way to get to that destination. He knows where we must go and how to get there. In fact, you cannot imagine a better way to get to where God is taking you than God's way. You can't think of a better destination to go than God's because he is infinitely wise. 
And the word best here, I've used the word best a few times, implies that God's wisdom has this moral component to it. It's good wisdom, sound, whole, healthy, pure wisdom. Look at James 3, 17. It says, the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. That's God's wisdom. That's what God's wisdom, how God's wisdom operates. It's best. The Bible distinguishes in that sense, God's wisdom from human wisdom. We can be shrewd. We can be insightful. We can be thoughtful. But sometimes our shrewd insights are not always upright. They're not always pure. They're not always peaceful. We don't use the brain power we have always to accomplish what is best, what is good. But God does because his wisdom is upright. It's pure, peace-loving, um, uh, 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 impartial, full of mercy and full of good fruit. You know, to help us think about this wisdom, this definition of God's wisdom, I think it would be helpful for us to consider where God is taking us. God's wisdom means that he always chooses the best goals. Well, what are God's goals? Where is he taking us? What's he trying to accomplish? Well, God is trying to accomplish 10 million more things than you can imagine. God is doing 10,000 more things than you can name at this moment. But the Bible does speak to us about the goals, the direction that God, the target that God is aiming his creation at for his people. Two of them. Let me mention two of them. There's more in the Bible we can find. Um, and the Bible says this in different ways, but this will do for now. Um, God is at work to make you, number one, more like Jesus, to make you more like Jesus. We learn this from Romans 8, 28 and 29, those so familiar verses, right? And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. There's a goal word. What's God's purpose? Now he elaborates. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. There it is, conformed to the image of his son. God is at work in your life. If you're a follower of Jesus, God is at work in your life to make you more like Jesus, that he might be, the text says, the firstborn among, among many brothers and sisters. God is at work to make you more like Jesus. Now, you, you might recognize that this is restoration work in some ways. Genesis chapter 1 tells us God made us. How did he make us? In his image. Genesis 3 tells us that we have rebelled against God and sin and introduced brokenness into the world. The image of God in human beings is marred, but not erased. It's defaced, but not broken. We still all are image bearers, but that image is twisted and corrupted and broken. And God is at work by making us like his son. He's restoring that original creation purpose. I don't know if at your house you like to put puzzles together. Some of you do. I don't know if you have rules at your house for what you do with puzzles. At your house, are you allowed to look at the box, look at the picture in the front when you put puzzles together? Do you ever fight about that? Yeah, oh, yeah see, all right, he knows. Uh, so uh, I, I don't know why. Sometimes I try not to, but sometimes I'm just in desperation. I get, where's the box? Get the box out. We got to look, right? Um, this is not a perfect analogy, but God is at work in your life with the broken pieces, um, 
dirty, stained, out of shape by sin. And God is at work, if you're a follower of Jesus, putting your life back together. And whose picture is on the box? Jesus' picture is on the box. That's what he's looking at in putting you together. So God is about the process of making you more like Jesus. Now, I wonder if that's your same goal for your life. Is that, that what you want for your life, to be more like Jesus? Remember the lines from George Mandel, the old Bible teacher who's from Pennsylvania. He said, I must see every person and circumstance that enters my life as the Holy Spirit coming to me in that person or circumstance in order to make me more like the Lord Jesus. How would your life be different if that was true of you? I must see every person and circumstance that enters my life as the Holy Spirit coming to me in that person or circumstance in order to make me more like the Lord Jesus. That's what God's about. Secondly, he's about, and again, there's another way to say this, he's about preparing you to marvel at Jesus. God is at work to prepare you to marvel at Jesus. The Bible would say this in in different places in different ways, but look at 2 Thessalonians 1.10. I borrowed this phrase from that verse. 2 Thessalonians 1.10 is talking about that day that Jesus returns. It says, on the day he comes, Jesus comes to be glorified in his holy people and to be marveled at among all those who have believed. If you're a follower of Jesus, God is preparing you for this day to marvel at Jesus. Now, that word marvel contains in it, doesn't, this sense of wonder and awe. Um, I have decided, I have discovered recently, have learned again, that if you're going to go watch fireworks, you really need to take little children with you. I like fireworks. Who doesn't like fireworks? But dogs, babies, and grouchy people. But anyway, if you're going to go see some fireworks, I recommend that you take little children with you because some of you are old and a little bit cynical. You've lived life in this broken world for a long time. It's made you a little bit brittle and a little bit jaded, and you need a little child with you because children have still uh, this infinite, it seems, capacity for wonder. And when something explodes in the sky, multicolored, you need someone near you to say, wow, oh, You need somebody to ask you, did you see that? Look at that. You need somebody who's sitting nearby you when something explodes in the sky to go. That's what you need because some of you are old and jaded. Listen, I don't know how much you realize, but an old person who's not grouchy is a work of the Holy Spirit. It is a miracle. It is a miracle if you are both old and kind. It's a miracle. You need little children. You need someone to disciple you and what it means to marvel. Jesus, God is at work in your life to prepare you so that when uh, Jesus returns, you know how to say, wow, oh. John puts these things together. The apostle John puts these goals together in 1 John 3, 2. Look what he says. He says, dear friends, now we are children of God and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, here it is, we shall be like him for we shall see him as he is. 
When Jesus appears, God's work of making you like him, uh, be like him, will come to its conclusion, its grand conclusion. And your work of marveling, him, uh, marveling at him like you have never marveled at him before will just be beginning when he comes. Here's what God is doing. Here's where God knows we must go. We, he must go for our own good, be like him and be prepared to marvel at him and God uses the best possible means in your life to get you there. Now, here's where somebody should object to this. Because God's means of getting us there are often painful. They hurt. If you don't have any objections to what I've said so far, maybe it's because you don't understand what I'm saying God is for your happiness, your eternal happiness. He is committed to, in this life, making you like, more like Jesus and preparing you to marvel at him when he comes. And the path that you're on, the path that you are on, with all of its pain and sorrow and suffering and its intermittent joys, but still all those hard things are the best possible means that God has in his infinite wisdom, to bring you to that, that place, to take you to those goals. You should object. I, I, every follower of Jesus sometimes wonders if that can possibly be true. Because, oh, I can imagine other ways that God might accomplish his purposes. I, I, I've sat with some of you, and I thought to myself, if I could spare you from this trouble that you are in, I would gladly spare you from it. But God's wisdom means that he always chooses the best goals and he always chooses the best means to accomplish those goals. We know this from the Garden of Gethsemane. Do you remember how Jesus prayed in Mark chapter 14? He's in the garden. He's anticipating the cross. It's going to come very soon. And look at how he prayed in Mark 14. He said, Abba, Father, he said, Everything is possible for you. Power. There's an affirmation of the power of God. You can do anything that you please. And then he says, speaking of the cross, take this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. There, here is Jesus, the God-man, praying this way. But the truth of the matter is there is no other way for God to secure for you the promise of eternally being able to marvel at Jesus. There's no other way for that to be possible unless the God-man goes to the cross. There's no other way. God always chooses the best possible means to get to the best possible goals. And in the Garden of Gethsemane, we learn that and includes that includes something as horrible as the cross. There is, there is no other way for any of us to marvel at Jesus in that day that he comes, or you can use all kinds of Bible language. There's no other way for us to be forgiven. There's no other way for us to be reconciled to God. There's no other way for us to have eternal life except that Jesus go to the cross. God's Plans, in his wisdom, include pain and suffering and grief. He secures 
your uh, 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 freedom. He secures for you the promise of marveling at Jesus definitively at the cross. And in this life right now, he uses painful means to make you more like Jesus. Do you know why? This pain, this pain is an indication of the seriousness of sin and how bad sin is. How bad is it that we are alienated from God? How bad is it that we choose our own path and not walk in obedience to God? How bad is it? It's so bad, it requires a cross to fix. What is necessary to bring us into conformity with Jesus, pain and trouble, because that's how far we are from that ideal. Sometimes following Jesus feels like death. You're looking at someone this morning who is very much unlike Jesus, and God uses painful means to make us we people more like him. You're sitting next to someone who is not ready yet to marvel at the Lord Jesus. You're, sit- you're going to have lunch today with someone who is very much not like the Lord Jesus, even if you eat alone. You're going to eat with someone very much who is not like the Lord Jesus. But God is at work, and he uses painful means the best possible means to achieve those goals. And he's good enough and he's powerful enough to bring that about. That's what we mean when we speak about God's wisdom. Now, briefly, I want to share with you four truths about the wisdom of God. Here they are. Uh, Number one, God's wisdom is an expression of his knowledge. I think, I didn't count, but I think that the Bible has actually more verses about the knowledge of God than about the wisdom of God, but the two are closely related. Uh, A verse uh, and then a quote, a verse about God's uh, knowledge, just one of them. We could read a dozen, but Hebrews 4.13 says, nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. God knows everything. All right, now a quote from A.W. Tozer about God's knowledge. God knows all that can be known. And this he knows instantly and with a fullness of perfection that includes every possible item of knowledge concerning everything that exists or could have existed anywhere in the universe at any time in the past or that may exist in the centuries or ages yet to come. That's, you can't get more comprehensive than that. He never discovers anything. He is never surprised. He's never amazed. He never wonders about anything, nor does he seek information or ask questions. God knows everything. His wisdom Because he has knowledge, he is of everything. He is good enough and wise enough to know what the best goal is and the best possible means to get to that goal. All right, number two, God's wisdom is the source of all human wisdom. God's wisdom is the source of all human wisdom. The first time in the Bible that the Bible says that God gave wisdom to a human being, it happened in the book of Exodus. Uh, Look what it says, Exodus 31. They're building the tabernacle in uh, the Hebrew scriptures here. Then the Lord said to Moses, See, I have chosen Bezalel, son of Uri, the son of Hur of the tribe of Judah, and I have filled him with the Spirit of God with wisdom 
with understanding, with knowledge, and with all kinds of skills. What's he supposed to do with it? He's going to make artistic designs for work in gold, silver, and bronze to cut and set stones, to work in wood, and to engage in all kinds of crafts. So God's going to give wisdom to this man to craft the tabernacle. Now, you might be thinking to yourself, well, that, is that a one-off thing? Is that a one-off thing? That just this miracle, this one guy once? Well, let's keep going. Psalm 144.1. Praise be to the Lord, my rock, who trains my hands for war, my fingers for battle. David says, how did David get to become such a great soldier? God trained him. God helped him. His wisdom for warfare came from God. Now we can be even more broad. Look at Isaiah 28, 23 to 30, 26. Should be themed verses for Lancaster County. Listen and hear my voice. Pay attention and hear what I say. When a farmer plows for planting, does he plow continually? Does he keep on breaking up and working the soil? When he has leveled the surface, does he not sow caraway and scatter cumin? Does he not plant wheat in its place, barley in its plot, and spelt in its field? How does he know to do that? His God instructs him and teaches him the right way. Verse 29. All this, he's still speaking about farming in this passage. All this comes from the Lord Almighty, whose plan is wonderful, whose wisdom is magnificent. How does a farmer know how to farm? God teaches him her. All wisdom comes from God. All wisdom has to come from God. Why? Because if you ever think of anything that God has never thought of, that means that God is not God, right? Romans eleven thirty three or 34, who has known the mind of the Lord who has been his counselor? No one has ever come before God and said, hey, God, I've got a new idea. And God has never said, oh, that is a new idea. No. All wisdom comes from God. No one has ever been God's counselor. Number three on my list here, God's wisdom is made manifest in Jesus. God's wisdom is made manifest in Jesus. So we could talk about this for a long time. We won't. Colossians 2, 3 is the end of a sentence, but here's that ending phrase. It speaks of Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. God's wisdom and knowledge in Christ. And 1 Corinthians 1.24, again, the end of a sentence, but look what it says about Christ. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. Number four, God's wisdom is given to his people. God's wisdom is given to his people. How many commands are in the Old Testament to get wisdom, to pursue wisdom, to value and love and study and long for wisdom? A lot. We didn't know this when Proverbs was first written, but reading the New Testament, we recognize that all those commands are commands to know Jesus and to pursue Jesus and to value Jesus and to follow him because he's the wisdom of God. Look at James 1.5. Many of you know this verse. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. We should be clear about the sort of wisdom that God promises to give. God does not give us the wisdom to understand all of his mysterious plans. God does not give us the wisdom, nor does he promise to give us the wisdom to understand all the intricacies of his providence. Some of you 
have sat in waiting rooms of hospitals and you say to yourself over and over again, why, why, why God, why God? And the Bible tells us that God does not tell us the answer to that question. Look at Ecclesiastes 11.5. It says, as you do not know the path of the wind or how the body is formed in a mother's womb, so you cannot understand the work of God, the maker of all things. That's not the sort of wisdom that God promises to give us all the answers to all of his providential work. Instead, the wisdom he promises is wisdom for the next step. Wisdom, what am I supposed to do right now? What's the next step I'm supposed to take? That's the sort of wisdom that God promises. I want to finish by reading a parable that I read a number of years ago written by a man by the name of Tim Hansel. And um, I probably have read this to you before. My mind comes back to it every now and then. It speaks to us about living in light of God's goodness and God's wisdom. I think you'll appreciate it. Let me finish by reading it. At first, he says, I saw God as my observer, my judge, keeping track of the things I did wrong so as to know whether I merited heaven or hell when I die. He was out there, sort of like the president. I recognized his picture when I saw it, but I really didn't know him. But later, when I met Christ, it seemed as though life were, were, like a bike, were rather like a bike ride. But it was a tandem bike, and Christ was in the back helping me pedal. I don't know just when he suggested that we change places, but life has not been the same since. When I had control, I knew the way. It was rather boring, but predictable. It was the shortest distance between two points. But when he took the lead, he knew delightful long cuts. He knew delightful long cuts up mountains and through rocky places, and at breakneck speeds, it was all I could do to hang on. Even though it looked like madness, he said, pedal. I worried and was anxious and asked, where are you taking me? He laughed and didn't answer, and I started to learn to trust. I forgot my boring life and entered into the adventure. And when I'd say, I'm scared, he'd reach back and touch my hand. He took me to people with gifts that I needed, gifts of healing, acceptance, and joy. They gave me their gifts to take on my journey, our journey, my Lord's and mine. And we were off again. He said, give the gifts away. They're extra baggage, too much weight. So I did it and the people, to the people we met. And I found that in giving, I received and still our burden was light. I did not trust him at first in control of my life. I thought he'd wreck it. But he knows bike secrets. How to make it bend to take sharp corners, jump to clear high rocks, and fly to shorten scary passages. And I'm learning to keep my mouth shut and pedal in the strangest places. I'm beginning to joy, enjoy the view and the cool breezes on my face with my delightful constant companion, Christ. And when I'm sure I can't, just can't do any more, he just smiles and says, pedal. Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. 
how unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay them? For from him and through him and for him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Let's pray, shall we? Father, we come before you this morning. I'm grateful to you for these men and women and teenagers, and I'm grateful to you for the evidence that I have seen in their lives that they are endeavoring to follow you through deep valleys and up steep cliffs and down into scary ravines. They are endeavoring to do so, though it is often difficult. Lord, we confess to you we are slow of mind to understand your wisdom. And worse still, we are slow of heart to trust you when we don't understand what you're doing. Lord, our goals don't always match with yours. Sometimes I would just rather be uh, at ease than more like Jesus. And I'd rather have the opportunity to marvel at trinkets here instead of being ready to marvel at the Lord Jesus when he comes. Oh, we confess to you, we fall short of these purposes that you have for us. And we acknowledge that your purposes are superior to ours. So help us. Help us, we pray, to worship aright the God who is, whose understanding has no limit. And grant, Father, that we might be faithful in encouraging one another to trust your wisdom when we cannot trace your hand. Help us, oh, help us, Lord, that we might follow you. You who began a good work in us, be faithful to complete it until the day that Jesus comes. Come soon, Lord Jesus, we pray. We ask these things together in the name of the Lord Jesus, saying, Amen. Please stand and let's sing our closing song together. The perfect wisdom of our God revealed in all the universe. All things created by his hand and held together at his command. He knows the mysteries of the seas, the secrets of the stars are his. He guides the planets on their way and turns the earth through another day. The matchless wisdom of his ways that mark the path of righteousness. His word of Should so-
You'll be able to greet the Niles. They'll be out in the foyer in just a couple of minutes. And Brad will be at the front. He would love to pray with you. When you say hi to Mark and Stacy, be sure to introduce yourself. They'd appreciate that reminder of your name. Now may the love of God and the grace of our Lord Jesus and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> 